It's time for stats. It's time for stats. Boop, 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 boop. It's time for stats. Look at these stats. I have these stats for you. That's the new Stats Worth Highlighting intro song. Uh, I is it? these stats for you. I found these stats for you. It's like you're being racist against an ethnicity that doesn't exist somehow. <laughs> it's unsettling. <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And Justin, we are very excited because today we have a super special, exciting announcement to, uh, to put out there to the people. Yeah. So it's like a news, news update. Breaking news in the, uh, in the CBC world, uh, taking live to Mr. Justin Bray, our reporter in the field. It's me, Justin. Here I am, leading industry expert, Justin Bray, week four le- leading industry expert. Momentarily, we'll know how I'm doing in week five. I, but Actually, tally site is broken, so we won't. So we'll just Damn say it, leading tally industry site. expert. Uh, anyway, so we uh, started the season by um, letting everybody know that we were going to donate all of our revenue, our stream, um, revenue streams, all the many <laughs> revenue streams this podcast has towards the Dogs for Pups campaign. And uh, we just donated our first batch of funds towards uh, that campaign. And it was $750 the first time around. And we are pretty uh, jazzed about that and very moved and uh, very thankful and appreciative of everybody who contributed. Uh, That's not even everything because I also received a bunch of acknowledgments um, that people made donations in Chapel Bell Curve's honor on their own, separate from uh, that donation. But I can't see those ones. So... It's over seven hundred and fifty dollars, <laughs> whatever it is, which is yeah, pretty awesome. So, um, thank I, I, y'all. I don't want to be too internally self congratulatory to our patrons, but I do want to say, you know, um, it has been, you know, the, this past month has been like a super heartening experience to be around mm-hmm. our patron community on Discord. And I, you know, I know that Discord has sort of a bad rep sometimes nationally as being a place Does where it? Nazis stay. But oh. I can tell you, yeah, dude. But I can tell you explicitly that there are no Nazis on this server, and <laughs> no Nazis here. And, and 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 to just have my one like earnest moment of the year, I will say that you know, right now is a time when it's real stressful outside for a lot of people for a lot of reasons, and it's been really for me personally an awesome experience to be around and get closer to all of our patrons. And um, if you. I would encourage you to join us just because I think it's good for your mental health. If you like UGA to be on this, to be on this place. But also um, as we can see that they have put their money, they've put their money where their mouths are. And like, I couldn't be prouder or happier or more just like, just feel more like good vibes uh, from a group of people than our patrons right now. We appreciate you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll keep you all updated with everything else that goes on uh, throughout the season. But um other things going on. Did you know there's football going on this this weekend, Nathan? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, More football. It's, it's, it still feels tentative to me, but yeah, we definitely do. We have uh, yeah, yeah, an, an We're upcoming playing. upcoming tilt between the hedges between uh, our the good guys, the University of Georgia, mm-hmm, your beloved mm-hmm. Bulldogs, and the um, sort of I, I'm going to say armed right wing militia of the Tennessee Volunteers. <laughs> They're just a group of folks that decided they were going to play football this weekend. Just a group of volunteers. 
basically just sovereign citizens if they fl- if they founded a, f- a football team, the Tennessee Volunteers. Mm-hmm. Coming on down from Knoxville, you have a special place in your heart uh, that exists because you lived in Knoxville for an amount of time. Uh, I did. I say heart because that's both where love and hate live, I feel. Like you got to make room for them both, right? Or is hate just the absence of love? Oh damn! That I I was I was prepared to talk about Knoxville. But I don't know if I'm ready to <laughs> tackle that. That's pretty weighty. <laughs> uh, I mean, I did live in Knoxville for two years, and I want to say at the outset of this that I met some wonderful people there. And you know, um, again, much like Auburn, Alabama, uh, culturally, Eastern Tennessee writ large, not Knoxville specifically. Culturally, maybe. Um, Knoxville is not the place for me, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not a great place to visit. Uh, I found, you know, I do actually genuinely miss living in Knoxville for the mountains. I miss the mountains. Like genuinely the air smells good in Knoxville. And I know that it's like easy to dunk on the Tennessee or whatever. And we're going to do a lot of that, but I, I will say like it, it smells amazing up there. Like just walking mm. outside, it smells like the mountains. And I love that. And I do miss that. And I miss look rock and I miss a lot of my friends and, Justin and Emily, who will never listen to this, I miss <laughs> them so much, uh, are, and Ruben, and yeah. Anyway, so having said all that, I mean, still, I hate Tennessee. <laughs> the football That's, team, writ large. Yeah, you know what I hate? Can I tell you something I hate about Tennessee? Sure. Rocky Top's a good song. Now, hold Ooh. on. Just be- no, 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 bear with me. No, bear, bear with me. Bear with me. Okay. Like, the song Rocky Top, as it was originally constructed, is a good song. Okay. The song Rocky Top as a like instrument of destruction in Neyland Stadium <laughs> is not a good song. And it just bothers me because I feel like UT having Rocky Top as their fight song. It's not their fight song. Just like Glory is not UGA's fight song. Their mm. fight song is Down the Field. Glory's fight song is, um, is uh, shoot, I forget what the original version of it is, but we just call it Bulldog March Medley. Um, anyway, but... Their school song being Rocky Top is sort of like if Florida's school song was like Claire de Lune or something. Like, yeah, that's a great <laughs> song. But if you heard it played 85 times during a game while Tim Tebow was chopping at you, you'd hate it too, right? And like, I, I just, it irks me. It also irks me. And this is this is maybe jealousy. Like, I, I think Rocky Top as a, Rocky Top is sort of genius as a school song. Because it is the best drunkenest yellingest song in the world, so it is really built for SEC football. You know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. I respect that. That like Tennessee got lucky enough to get a song that sounds better if you have been drinking clear corn liquor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, I still hate Rocky Top. I'm not. I'm not saying I don't. I'm. I'm saying like I respect the troll game a little bit. Yeah. You got to. I mean, yeah, like game recognizes game, right? That's kind of part of it. It's it's one of those yeah. things you got to do. In in the same way that when one con man sees another con man run a con, you're just like, mm. all right, I see you. All right, <laughs> let's let's talk about subjective narratives. You got anything yeah. on our Wikipedia, our history, or I have so the stories many coming into this game? Oh I'm yeah, ready. buddy. Uh, so looking at the record between these two teams, Georgia's 24 wins, Tennessee's 23 wins. So they have a chance to tie it up here, but Georgia does have the current win streak at the past three years of games. We have won. uh, the longest win streak was actually for Tennessee. Tennessee actually has a lot on Georgia, uh, just cause you know, back in, what was it like the, the eighties through the nineties and then like the Peyton Manning area, all those times. 
there's a lot going on for him. <laughs> um, they have the longest win streak is nine between 1989 and 1999. Um, ours is five between 1909 and 1925. And so we, we do have an opportunity to continue our win streak and try and match that and make it a more um, modern domination, which is what we're all kind of hoping for, I'm sure. Uh, they have the 11th best all-time record. Uh, they have six national championships, which is more than I ever imagined Tennessee has every time I look at this each year. 16 conference championships to our 14. Uh, they do have the ninth most wins all-time to our 11th. And so, you know, this is a, a pretty evenly matched um, dynasty, uh, if not a little bit lopsided towards Tennessee. But in recent years, it has been... Everything's been coming up Georgia, which has been pretty nice. Really, since, let's see, um, in the last do, 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 in the last 20 years, let's look at the more modern uh, era of these games. Last 20 years, uh, Georgia has won the last 14 of the 20 games. So that's pretty good. Not too bad at all. I, I'll take that uh, any 20-year you know, range of time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can I also just pause one second? Pause you one second yep. on that. I just want to set the record straight. Can you guess for me how many of UT six claimed national championships came? Uh, let's say after 1955. Mm, one, two, 1967, Dude. 1998. The others they claim are 38, 40, 50, and 51. Hmm. And also, can I just say claiming a national championship the year after D Day? Or the year after the uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Sorry, it's weak. it was a few years before D-Day. Yeah, it's kind of chicken shit, right? Like, a lot of teams weren't even fielding teams at that point. Mm-hmm. I see you. 1938, you're going to claim it? All right. What is that, the Dust Bowl? Bowl? Anyway, anyway, it was after the Dust Bowl. I know, but still. <laughs> uh, here's some other subjective narratives going on for you, though. This is... Uh, yeah, I, I want more. Give it to me. Yeah, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, this is the return of Cade Mays. You know, Cade Mays left us last year. Uh pretty unexpectedly what was it was it was it was after the season it was maybe january or so and then a lot came out about a uh a lawsuit that his father had uh filed against uga that was dating back to uh, a recruitment um visit when he sat in a folding chair and apparently severed a, a, a finger which i think is still one of my favorite reasons to try and grab eligibility uh Cade Mays also managed to claim that it was a toxic environment um and you know despite that a lot of folks have been saying all this week as they've been interviewed like zamir white and uh a few other players have all said you know they got nothing but you know good feelings no nothing no, not harboring any resentment towards Cade Mays whatsoever but um uh, that's another subjective narrative going on but what, what have you heard about that one well my understanding is that he left because we didn't recruit his brother mm-hmm. uh, cooper mays is i think he's also an offensive lineman um from tennessee uh and yeah he's a center up at tennessee at ut and mm-hmm. we didn't recruit him and i feel like that was really when the rift started i i think that everything else is just sort of like posturing like yeah. i mean it, i i really don't think it's you know i think it's much of a do about nothing i think kids should be able to transfer yeah it's um, not a big deal let him go play yeah You're not gonna pay him let him yeah. play yeah yeah, like whatever. I don't mind that Cade Mays is at Tennessee. He went to Knoxville Catholic. It makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, I'm upset that the. I mean, to some extent, the posturing upsets me because it's like, I. It's hard for me to believe that Cade Mays was worried about a hostile work environment when he had started like you know seven games last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was not being pushed. He did not get. We did not. We did not misuse him like Justin Fields. Like mm-hmm. he was the starting right tackle. I think he was the starting left tackle. 
at he's the left uh, at yeah. the sugar. He's the starting left tackle at the Sugar Bowl, and he started some games even with Isaiah Wilson and um, Andrew Thomas on the team last year. And so it's like, I don't know what. I mean, look, it's fine if you know that he wanted us to recruit his brother, but you know we didn't recruit Aziz Ojolari's brother, BJ Ojolari. We, I mean, we did, but he didn't end up going here. You didn't see Aziz transferring. I don't know. It's just like. Mm-hmm. It's on the one hand, I try not to be too critical of, um, I try not to be too critical of players because I think, you know, I mean, A, they're, they're functionally children. Like they don't have fully developed frontal lobes, right? B, they're doing something for me, for fun for me. So it sounds, it feels kind of chicken shit on my part to criticize anybody. But I mean, I, I will say that anytime that Tom Mars gets involved in a situation, the situation instantly gets like about five times less classy, right? So like, <laughs> take that as you will. Yep. Another article I saw pop up recently was that Butch Jones's name should be said in the same sentence as Kirby Smart's these days. Okay, uh, so so I really hold on. I'm gonna just look up this quote. Who wrote this? Hold on. If I I'm gonna guess Clay Travis, but it seems like a pretty Clay Travis thing to say. Yeah, you're you're damn right it does. Because <laughs> it's inane. It's asinine. Whoa! Not this is this was below Clay Travis, huh? Yeah, this is a this is on A to Z Sports Nashville. Ooh, some top is level it, stuff. T- so he's saying his essential argument is that Kirby Smart has dumb off the field stuff, and people are going to leave his program just like Butch Jones. So like Kirby Smart is as bad as Butch Jones at off the field stuff, and I just like I don't get that at all (laughs) i'm not sure i understand or like it that's a funny take you have it's again i try not to be too critical personally i think ad hominem tax generally you know denote a lack of evidence and reasoning um but that is some dumb shit that that guy just said man god i'm just so I'm so put out. I'm trying to be nice about this. <laughs> I really try to be nice about this. I really am. I do genuinely think that it's sort of stupid to criticize players when they transfer. Yeah. And I want to, and I want, I want to stick to that. But I also just like, if he just transferred, I, I don't look, if something was happening inside this program, I would want to know. And if it was like some kind of horrible Baylor situation, or if there was a culture of racism, a hundred percent ready to go like want to talk about it but like i that doesn't seem to be the case here and it's just hard for me to reckon like just say hey i wanted to play with my brother it's not that hard right like and i and i think a lot of this comes from the fact that Cade mays thought it was more likely that he'd get to play this year if he you know rose uh, raised a ruckus which i guess is another Mm -hmm. problem right because there was a a systemic incentivization of his you know bullshittery or whatever so like bullshittery sir yeah all right like it. Let, let's let's move you want to move on What's your next? <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna get i'm just gonna get angry it's like we're only yep. it's good I, i'm revving you the, up my current timestamp is like 19 minutes and i am not like ready to be a, that angry Mm-mm. at 19 so, minutes yeah. in i'm gonna keep i'm gonna get you to a rector level set angry uh is what we'll uh, get you to uh, at some point uh, um, son of a bitch <laughs> another quote i heard was Auburn is not a good team. They have not been tested. That's kind of what's coming out of the uh, after this past weekend. Instead of saying like, "Wow, Georgia's a really good team. Georgia really put it together. They really fixed some issues coming out of the first week." 
Uh, people have been saying, mm, Auburn's not a good team. They haven't really been tested, um, and which are two completely different thoughts in my mind. You say Auburn's not a good team, as it turns out, or you say they have not been tested. Um, and then to follow that up, I also saw Tennessee is a good team. They have been tested, which I find also hilarious because the two teams they have played are South Carolina and Missouri. Yeah, I I watched. I went and watched a little bit of the Missouri-Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. We can get into this later, but I don't think that, you know, I think South Carolina scored 31 points on them with a Mike Bobo offense that wants to take a snap every, every about five real world minutes. Mm-hmm. They want to take, they want to have a, you know, South Carolina on offense wants to have a TV timeout between every snap. So I'm not super convinced that giving up 31 points to them is good. And then like, I think that Missouri team is really well coached, but they're in, they are in year zero. They are ravaged by COVID. Um, I think Eli Eli Drinkwitz is a very competent coach, but I, I you know mashing Missouri looks good, and you know you probably should mash Missouri, and you know if you're Georgia doesn't, I'll be d- disappointed. But I don't know how much I I have seen this play out before with a Jim Cheney offense, where you manball a team that can't block you to death, and then you go out against a team that can block you a little bit, and it suddenly falls apart. So I I remain a little bit unconvinced on Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I will tell you frankly um i can tell you why people are convinced about them but i don't know man yeah they, they, they were just throwing missouri around and missouri still kept it probably a little bit more competitive than they should have so the next question at this point after two games of him uh well one and a quarter games of him um uh, it seems like 50 50 50% of the fan base at this point is pretty sold on Stetson Bennett. Uh, and a lot of questions are coming out as to say he's either earned the spot or they're questioning whether or how much longer do we continue to see Bennett? And so what do we think we're, we might see out of him from this Tennessee defense? I mean, Tennessee has had, and we can talk about this in stats, but Tennessee has been, has had a pretty good uh, front seven havoc rate this year. Uh, they have a, a pretty gnarly front seven. Um, they are going to bring people. They're going to rush five or six or whatever. Like that's, you know, they're pretty aggressive. I, you know, I, I sort of feel like Bennett is better than he should be. I think he's mm-hmm. better than we thought he'd be. I think he has a real like gunslinger mentality and he has the arm strength to back it up about 85% of the time. And he seems to be playing well within the offense. So um, my concern is really Bennett against Alabama more than it has been against Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, are you asking me like who's going to start? I mean, definitely Bennett. Oh, well, right? yeah. Like, it's more it's a subjective narrative, so you can kind of say whatever the hell you want to say. <laughs> I mean, like Bennett's Bennett's starting. I mean, yeah. You, it's you know, I I don't think this is a Drake Fromm situation where like JT Daniels transfers and then he wins a national championship and is like sixth year of eligibility or whatever. But I do mm-hmm. think that there is there's an element of it where it's like, yes, are we going to see JT Daniels? I I very much think that we will. I actually think after Dewan at some Mathis, point. Sort of, Don Mathis looked a little bit lost in the Auburn game again. So I, I do wonder if we'll see JT Daniels again. Um, but, you know, I mean, I have a feeling that maybe he's not going to be able to prove it against Alabama. But until he proves that he can't do what we need him to, I don't know that there's really a reason. I mean, I, I get the the allure of playing the high upside guy. My argument would be, you know, if you have a historically good defense, which we can talk about this later, but. UGA does have one. Um, you know, you can afford to take more risk, play the higher upside guy, and just let your talent win out, right? Just snap the ball a bunch of times. 
I also get, though, that when you have a historically good defense, another argument you could make is that if you play the guy with the lower ceiling, that your historically good defense means that you need a a lower ceiling of result. To me, that seems a little bit small C conservative in terms of just like uh, it's a a little risk averse to be to, you know, to be the right decision. But I can't prove so far that he was incorrect to start Bennett. And And also, like. I think one thing that gets forgotten is that like a lot of statsy people and a lot of recruiting people are just like, shit, man, you got to get like, you got to get JT Daniels out there. Like Bennett's a good story. Like, I think the big counter narrative is like Bennett's a great story, but like JT Daniels has more talent and that's probably still true. But also like, I think if Bennett had, if Daniels had really been a hundred percent healthy and ready to go, we would have seen him in Auburn. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 you know, he may be cleared, but we don't know how he looks in practice. We don't know. I mean, he might just be having bad practices because he's not like ready, you know, and yeah. you can be hurt. You can be medically cleared to play and not mentally ready to play on a busted knee, man. And so I, I I, do also wonder if the reason we haven't seen Daniels at all for a snap is the fact that he's just not physically there. Um, I don't I, I'm not reporting that or anything. It just kind of yeah. makes sense to me because I think we would have seen him at some point. Mm hmm. The final subjective narrative going into this game. This is uh, our second home game in as many weeks. And it seems like all social media can talk about is just how unmasked our student section was. Uh, And I guess, I mean, there's not really a question here. It's kind of like we all saw the game. It was very unmasked. (laughs) Um, And I guess will we see it two weekends in a row, Uh, even despite the threat of of certain fines from the SEC and everything? I mean, okay, so I will say that having seen... I was not at the game, full disclosure, mm-hmm. but I do know quite a few people that were at the game because I work with Red Coats or whatever. I think that the section was probably more socially distanced than it looked like that they were. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not wearing masks. Um, I can't say with certainty, and I don't know that I'm reporting this. I'm just telling you what I know to be true. Uh, UGA is taking steps to address that. I have heard that there's going to be a lot tighter security and a lot shorter leash on things. Um, my understanding was that a lot of students who ended up in the bottom section were supposed to be in the top section mm-hmm. and that just a lot of students generally sort of just got into the lower bowl and got over there. And I think you're going to see just a lot more people getting yanked out of the stands next year or this next, uh, this next game, just because mm-hmm. I think that I really like Josh Brooks, who is the associate athletic director director at UGA. I, um, and I think he's the associate AD for communication. I think he's a really smart guy and his quotes about it made it very clear that I think UGA is image conscious enough to do something about this. And I, and everything I've heard from people who I know would know is that they are, that it is going to be a much different setup. Mm -mm. It doesn't look good though. (laughs) Mm -mm. It sure didn't. One thing that I have kind of uh, thought about, you know, I work with a lot of student volunteers in my full-time job and I have had a number of them reach out. One of our, our safety guidelines right now as an organization is we're not working with students who are doing X, Y, Z. There's a whole list of things that we're kind of um, asking folks uh, before they volunteer with us. But one of the things that most of them have started to say is like, I already had it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, OK, well, well, there's that, I guess. Um, and so I, I wonder if that is a factor. Uh, a lot of these students are like, well, I've already had it. So whatever um and so it just still doesn't look good but it is you know because you can't just look at someone and say whether or not they did have it but it is what it is yeah and and i know from teaching that you know it sucks like i have to tell kids a hundred times a class put your mask on put your mm-hmm. mask on 
put your mask on, put it over your nose, put your mask on. And it, and it is hard to do that. And when you're, you know, making minimum wage or like less as a, you know, security person at a UGA game, I mean, it's a pretty big ask to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, go get that incredibly privileged kid from Marietta to put a mask on. They don't think they need. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I think the real answer is probably just better control of how many people are in the lower bowl. Mm-hmm. I think that there were a lot of kids down in that bowl who should not have been in there. Like most likely like they were, they were not sat there and they just snuck in. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into some stats worth highlighting, huh? The very first thing that I wanted to kind of throw at you uh, to kind of start breaking down was uh, there was this Amir White. He, he's been getting a lot more uh, airtime as far as the cameras go. And one of the things that was said this, over the weekend, it was kind of a question to how well, how did the the offense do so well against Auburn compared to the first week's game against Arkansas? It just kind of looked like something changed drastically. And his only answer was it clicked. And so I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts. What do the stats tell us as to what actually clicked? What are the things that we can see differently from game to game? Well, I mean, execution. Um, mm-hmm. I, and a lot of it is stuff that if you watch the uh, Periscope scre- stream of the Battle Hymnal, our mm-hmm. film breakdown is stuff that you see, you'll see. you see in this. I think that Munkin called a very good game against Auburn's defense. I think Auburn's defense is not as good as it has been in the past. I think it was just a lot of things. I mean... Arkansas is bet probably better on defense than we all think even now. I think um, Auburn probably is worse on defense than we thought. And then also, you know, when you don't have a hundred yards of period or a hundred yards of period uh, penalties in the first period, the first quarter, I mean, you're going to have more success, right? I mean, we we just shot ourselves in the foot so many times, especially with the mm-hmm. rush. I think, I think it's a it's a it's a combination of things. I mean. You know, it's funny in so like if you sort out like EPA values or whatever, we're going to talk a lot about EPA today. So just like yes. get your get your get your mind <laughs> right with that. I'm, I, I'm going to pause and just talk about EPA for like a while at some point here. <laughs> but um, all, all, all we need to know right now is that EPA is just like a general uh, good, a good metric for just like success in general. Right. So um, if we look at week one epa for georgia right and we just see like okay how, how good was uga on offense uh it's in the negatives it's like negative 0.1 epa um that's very bad you want like positive 0.2 right mm-hmm. uh that put uga in the first week uh it looks like second to last in the conference right uh just above vanderbilt in terms of offensive performance right if we look at week two on epa UGA is at point, uh, 0.22 EPA in week two offensively, which puts UGA sort of like, you know, in the upper half of the conference, right? In the like right smack in the middle. Actually, no, slightly above. Like, I think it puts them at like sixth or whatever. So, you know, there's a statistically the our eyes support the numbers, which is that UGA kind of sucked on offense the first week and they were really good the next week. I don't know. I think that, you know, it sounds kind of pat for Zemir White to say, well, things just clicked. But I do think there is an element of like when you don't have 100 penalty yards in a quarter and when you don't have offensive linemen just going to the wrong place, which was happening in the first quarter in the Arkansas game, it, it does sort of there is a moment where you just get a rhythm. And I think offense, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of statistical things we can talk about with offense. We definitely definitely will. But a lot of it is just execution and rhythm. And and there is, I think, a psychological aspect to playing as a side on in football by which i mean like if 
one of your major units has success, that breeds success. And I think UGA had a plan, and I think you could tell kind of in the second second half, uh, UGA really backed off its game plan and just decided to sit on Auburn. And I think part of that was that, you know, they got up 21 points and UGA was pretty much just like, okay, well, uh, we don't have to show any more of our playbook going forward, so we're not gonna. Um, so we're just gonna sort of sit here until... And I have... I sort of normally reject the like save the playbook thing, but you when you can see it happen in real time across a game, then like I think it is happening, and I think that you know sometimes you just have a good day, and and I always thought that the how bad UGA was on offense against Arkansas is like literally statistically unsustainable, like unless you are trying to get a hundred yards of penalties in one quarter, you're not going to do it. It doesn't just happen, mm-hmm. um, and, and so. To me, I think UGA being just like a slightly above average offense in the in the SEC is almost just like regression to the mean. It's just like that was what UGA was just going to be just from having the talent they have and, you know, having a first year starter at quarterback and a, a new offense coordinator is going to average out to be about a, a, you know, average offensive unit. And I think they're going to get better. But yeah, I <laughs> it, it is sort of silly when he says that. But I, I that's all a very long way of saying that, like, he's actually kind of right. Yeah. Just he didn't want to sit there on TV and say everything you just said, right? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I I certainly hope that Zamir White makes enough money, or let, let me rephrase, Zamir White is in line to make enough money that he knows when to keep his mouth shut more than I do, mm-hmm. um, and just sort of like let people think what they think, whereas I just am like, well, let me just uh, explain everything to you here for an hour. <laughs> uh, one thing, uh, you know, everyone's talking about Tess and Bennett and everything, and uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what is it that's making him so great? And so one of the things I did notice was uh, that his his right tackle is having just a day of it, man. Um, Warren McClendon, he had 20 pass block snaps out of 20 pass block snaps <laughs> that were successful, essentially. He didn't miss a single one on the weekend. Uh, so with that in mind, I, I mean, that's just pretty outstanding. But do we see any adjustments, you think, from Tennessee? I know th- there's, there's a lot of, there's a, a few different philosophies as far as like, uh, the left and the right tackle goes and it has to do with whether or not your quarterback is right or left-handed of course and you know what side is their their favorite side but what kind of adjustments do you think we might see based on this information in Tennessee I mean it seems like McClendon has pretty much like got himself a spot in the offensive line my my read on the situation is that like Trey Hill has problems snapping the ball but you can't keep him out of the center spot because he just smashes people um Ben Cleveland, Justin Schaefer, Trey Hill are guys that can get beat sometimes on speed rushes. But if they get ahead of steam and, you know, they've been able to get ahead of steam in this offense because they've been pulling a lot, that they'll just smash you. And I think Warren McClendon, you know, I mean, Warren McClendon came in as a highly rated recruit. And I, it seems like he has definitely um, he's a big dude. Like if you see him physically, like he's bigger than Condon. Um and so, you know, I mean, it kind of makes sense for me. He came in at 6'4", 318. He's a big, big dude. So he fits in that. He is definitely more of in the mold of a tackle than somebody like Sawyer, who moved back inside, but side, it seemed like, against Auburn. So, I, I mean, I I think it's it's heartening to see some of these dudes take a step. Because Justin Schaefer, Ben Cleveland, we know what they are. Which is like if they get in front of you, like they're gonna run you into the ground, right? But they def- they definitely aren't the most fleet of foot in some ways. 
Um, so, you know, it's really good to see that. And also just like Warren McClendon has been in this program for a year now. So, um, it is, it makes me feel good at the program level, especially because like you, you have to see those four star guys turn into starters, right. For this to be sustainable. It feels good, man. So I know you have a whole, I was waiting to to get to this point because I know you have a whole list of things you want to kind of highlight as far as stats worth highlighting. So do you want to, to prep us with what we're about to hear and then just dive right in yeah so a lot of these are stats we've already talked about one stat we're going to be using a lot this year is um uh, epa uh epa is estimated points added it is a per play measure of it doesn't matter what you need to know is (laughs) epa epa is a stat that measures not just were you successful on a play but how successful were you it helps to control for offenses that have a very high success rate, but a low explosiveness rate. Someone like Army, right? They are they are successful a lot, but they are never extremely successful, right? So EPA is basically the stat answer to the fact that a third and five run for five yards and a third and five run for 85 yards are the same amount of successful. They're both just a yes on success rate, right? But EPA does a good job of combining success rate and effectiveness into just like a single stat. How good are you from play to play, right? Now, um, one note I will say is that these, unlike SP Plus or some of the more like bigger heuristic stats that we have, uh, none of these stats control for opponent. I think one of the arguments I would make is that the opponents have definitely affected Tennessee's results. Um, But so having said all of that, uh, Tennessee, they are pretty good on D. They are pretty good on O. Um, they're a pretty well-rounded team. They got talent at pretty much every level. Um, they are fourth in total defensive PPA. They are third in passing down PPA, sixth in standard down PPA. They're a little bit worse against the run they, and then they are against the past or in running situations. Rather. They are fifth in havoc rate. One thing to look out for, they are first in defensive havoc rate on the uh, in the front seven. They've got uh, Toa Tua or Henry Tuatua, I think it's mm-hmm. Henry Tuatuo. Uh, yeah, I got, I think I, he's a very good linebacker. Right. He's, he's very active. He's a real runner, um, hits runs like it's a very good player. Um, so they have a very active front seven. Um, they have been, you know, their second in defensive stuff rate against the run. They've been getting into people's backfields. Now, you know, how much is that? Is that Missouri? It just looked pretty hapless. I don't know, but they have been at the very least. They have not played with their food when they played Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how bad or good you think South Carolina is, they either had a competitive game against South Carolina or they played with their food. So who knows at this point? Um, they are first in uh, defensive line yards, right? They definitely are. They're, they're very active in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They've got a good offensive line. They're fifth in total uh, on overall offensive EPA or P- EPA. So basically like they're slightly above average as an offense so far this year. Um, they're sixth in explosiveness. But if we kind of drill down into these numbers a little bit more, um, situationally, they've been pretty good at times. Um, oh, actually, well, we'll get to this in a second. So uh, situationally, they've been pretty good at times. Give me two seconds to pull this up. Mm-hmm. All right. So bringing myself back in offensively, uh, situationally, you know, th- there's some interesting things going on with Tennessee. Um, they are a they are like third in. Um, line yards they're they they've had a very active uh offensive line with the addition of Cade Mays they have a lot of really good players on that side of the ball uh UJA is second line yards I will point out yeah so that is that is like you know live yards average or whatever or no that that is total line yards they're um they're third so you know they've looked good um 
other situational stats that I think offensively are important. You know, they um, their stuff rate offensively has also been quite good. They are oh no, oh no, actually no, actually no, their stuff rate has not been quite good. Um, interestingly enough, they are doing pretty good at line yards, but uh, offensively they are fourth in stuff rate allowed. So twenty three percent of their of their runs have been stuffed at this point in the year. Uh, that might be weighted by, you know, South Carolina, which is very active. Uh, Georgia is second to last in stuff rate, actually, interestingly enough. Another really interesting stat that we can track now, and I'm going to talk about why we can track all this stuff here in a second, um, is second level yards, which is just like basically yards that you give to the skill player that have nothing to do with the blocking. So like for Tennessee, uh, Tennessee is currently, and all of these ranks are in the SEC, by the way. Tennessee is currently fourth in second level yards. Um, if I'm reading this correctly and you know, so that's, that's good. I mean, they, they, yeah. they are effective at the line of scrimmage. They have, you know, they have some skill players that can move the ball. Um, they are, you know, havoc wise defensively. They're very good in the front seven havoc wise offensively. Um, they are currently offensive havoc. They are actually first UGA is third and offensive havoc surrounded in the SEC and they're first. Uh, they haven't really faced a lot of havoc oriented teams, but Hey, mm-hmm. That's still really good. You know, this is a team that, frankly, I'm more worried about than I was Auburn. I mean, I think they're a good team. I think that the line is probably too big on this one. I would probably have set it at six or seven instead of 14. But they are a they are they are a more complete team than Auburn, I will say. Auburn has some real holes on the line of scrimmage on both sides. I think we saw that on Saturday. And while I'm not totally convinced that Jared Guarantano... Guarantano? Guarantano. Anyway, I'm not convinced that jg as my as his friends call him, <laughs> is the answer at quarterback um he has made some bad throws in the past and especially when he's gotten pressure he's made some bad throws um so that makes me feel pretty that makes me feel better about the game i will say that you know i think this is a good team i i think this team has a chance against florida and georgia i think you know that georgia can and should probably win this game because ultimately the best two units on the field not nationally are probably Georgia's defense and Georgia's special teams. But I think that we should take this team seriously. I mean, they have players at pretty much every level. You know, Jeremy Pruitt was brought in to do the Alabama rebuild on Tennessee, and he hasn't quite managed it to the level that Kirby Smart has so far. But, I mean, he's recruited a bunch of four and five stars to that place. And, you know, um, I can't find the blue chip ratio for 2020. But, you know... For instance, if we look at 24-7's talent composite, speaking of like the Saban-style rebuild, currently Georgia is third, Alabama's first, Ohio State is second, in terms of just like pure recruiting. Uh, as of right now, Tennessee is 16th. Um, and, you know, that's that doesn't sound like much to people who are third, but when you look at Tennessee's sort of rise to to from bad to mediocre to good this year, uh, it's kind of been built on the back of that. You know, they currently have four or five stars on their roster, 32 four stars, 47 three stars. That's totally respectable. Average of 88.7. You know, UGA currently has 14 five stars, 45 four stars, and 25 three stars. Uh, 91.7 is their average rating. So it, there is still a talent gap on this team, but this team also, UT, doesn't have a lot of holes talent-wise. Now, I don't, we're dealing with small sample size with all of these statistics. So I do sort of like, I would caution us as you make these predictions, not to think that Tennessee is probably quite the world builder, the beater that they seem because they have mashed a bad team. So these are not adjusted for opponent. 
But I will say before we move on, um, because I forgot to do this at the beginning, one super exciting thing that <laughs> super one super exciting thing that we have access to now, um, and that our Discord has access to is some amazing, amazing numbers in an Excel pivot table from Josh Hancher. Josh uh, has been using data from CFB underscore data on Twitter. They are part of a, a college football scraping project that's really awesome. And he's been using data from SEC StatCat. So now if you join our Discord and you are a dork, which let's be honest, <laughs> if you were listening to if you're listening you to this are. and you're more than th- yeah, if you're if you're 30 minutes into this podcast, let me just tell you about it. I got bad news for you. Um <laughs> But if you join this Discord, you can get access to these pivot tables. And let me tell you, buddy, it is, it is, it is sex on a stick if you were into this kind of thing. Because <laughs> right now we have the ability to sort pivot tables by defensive and offensive, uh, team-wise statistics. We've got you know probably forty team statistics that we can sort by across the entire conference. In the SEC, we can sort play by play, and we can sort play by play by uh, past uh, by concept. So, like, our, we can look at, you know, what does Tennessee do um, on the inside zone? What does Georgia do on the inside zone? How does Georgia defend the inside zone? How does Tennessee run the inside zone? So, if you're the kind of person who gets excited at the ability to, uh, on demand, break down granular stats, uh, it the, you're the kind of person that you should be on our Discord. And you should check out patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. And then come download this very, very attractive Excel sheet and get into it with us. As an example of what you can do with these fancy pivot tables that we have, courtesy of uh, Josh Hanser, dog underscore stats, um, and courtesy of SEC StatCat, and courtesy of CFB underscore stats. So, for instance, if I want to look up uh, PPA, which is success rate and explosiveness sort of combined, and I want to look it up on, let's say I want to look at, I don't know, give me a concept. Give me any kind Uh, of, of concept. Tell me... How many? Uh, give me a, like a, a slate of the types of run plays we're running. Okay, sure, can do. I a hundred percent can. So, um, so let's say inside zone. So mm-hmm. currently, Georgia has a 0.57 PPA per every inside zone. That is very good. 0.2 is good. 0.57 is very very good. Georgia has rushed for 37 yards on six plays on inside zone so far this year. Uh, another one that they really liked, because not only do we have play concepts from SEC StatCat, we also have sub-concepts. So if you want to get into my personal favorite play of the year, which is Split Zone, uh, UGA has run Split Zones twice for 18 yards and a 1.437 uh, PPA on the EPA, PPA on the year. EPA, geez. They're, they're the same thing, EPA and PPA, but we should call it EPA. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um UGA has 1.43 PPA on those two plays because one of them was a 16-yard run and the other one was a touchdown. I mean, like, if you are a football dorkus, this is the kind of thing that you want to be a part of. Oh, yeah, definitely. I need to look into this more. Anyway, long story short, if you are a dork, if you like numbers, if you like to manipulate data, uh, this is your kind of thing. Um, please get on here with us. Support a good cause. Like we said at the top, we already donated $700 for uh, Dogs for Pups. Uh, these these pivot tables are amazing, and we thank Josh so much for their use, and they have really just, like, these pivot tables have, like, palpably lessened my anxiety in the 30 minutes since I learned about them. So, do you want to talk about things that we want to see now that we've kind of, like, ogled over oh, yeah. stats for an hour? Yeah. So one thing that I did see in the last game that I really want to continue seeing is one of my favorite things in football is just 
general havoc. So Ojolari, Rice, and uh, Anderson all just had, I felt like they had a really great game, great defensive game. Monty Rice kind of made up for uh, kind of the misplays that he had in the first week. I think that he had a few miscues in the second game, but he definitely, I think the good outweighed the bad for sure. And Adam Anderson and Aziz Ojolari had some outstanding games, made three sacks on the day. Uh, and I just kind of want to continue to see more of that. I think that's definitely going to be kind of the the key to, um, I mean, Guarantano is not a better quarterback than Bo Nix. There are, there are a few quarterbacks in the SEC, I feel, that are as highly touted as Bo Nix. Um, and Guarantano is not one of them. <laughs> And so I, I don't think we're going to have an issue pressuring him and putting, uh, making sure that, you know, we, we're shutting down uh, parts of his game. If it is, uh, you know, really forcing the, the run game against this Tennessee team, I think that we've got that handled. If it is making Garantano try to pass, I think that's going to be fine too. So I think defensively speaking, I feel good if these three guys are still continuing to have a great game as far as Havoc goes. What about can you? I, can I... Well, can I just like excite and titillate you for a second? Yes, please. Yes. Titillate Georgia me. is cur- Georgia is currently third in the SEC in Havoc cr- created. They Which are the sentence, uh, I wouldn't have thought I'd, I'd hear really. Yeah, they are currently one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh in uh, front seven Havoc, but in uh, DB Havoc. And this is the part that really excites me. So that would be pass breakups, sacks from DBs and uh, interceptions. Georgia is currently second in the SEC. And let me tell you, my friend, I think those numbers are only going to get better. So I'm yeah. that, that, and Hey, that was all courtesy of our fancy pivot. Table. So if you want to see the power, the, if you want to see the power at our fingertips, wow. there it is. Other thing I really want to see, I know that Tennessee is averaging over the past two games. So really, what does an average really mean? Um, they, they've averaged 186 rushing yards per game at this point. And so, this UGA defense, I think you said right before the game, uh, right before, not the game, right before the episode that uh, total over the last two games, UGA has allowed 160-ish rushing yards. 100, and so, 161, my friends. 161. So I'm just kind of curious, what's that going to look like? You know, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I want to kind of hear more about that. You know, uh, we, we got to let their offense go somewhere and kind of uh, push all their efforts into one direction. So what is that going to look like? Well... I think Kirby Smart has proven at this point that he can coach a defense that stops the run. Yeah, I don't really super think that that's in question at this point. I I do sort of feel like you know, I Tennessee is a good running team. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> like, I don't know if being just a good running team is enough against this team because I will say that I have been a little bit skeptical about UGA's. UGA smashed teams that couldn't run the ball because they didn't have great quarterbacks last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but UGA has played two teams that their whole identity revolves around running the ball and just absolutely like dropped them. So I I sort of feel like I, I think that, you know, we're going to probably be over our average output of 82 yards because that's like ridiculous and unsustainable. Uh, but, you know, I do think that it is doable that UGA keeps this team under, you know, 150 rushing yards. Uh-huh. I mean, they have two they have two very good running backs. Eric Gray is an excellent running back. They have a very good offensive line. Uh, UGA doesn't have a great stuff rate because UGA just doesn't give up a lot of rushing attempts. Right? Yeah. Like, they, they have not defended many rushing attempts. And so, like, I, I you know, I it's hard for me to see any team coming in here 
and really running the ball for 200 yards against Georgia. Like mm-hmm. I would be, I would be pretty shocked actually. <laughs> like yeah. if, if UGA, if, if, you know, I think Tennessee is going to have some success. I really do. And, and, and to that extent, uh, that's fine. Right. But I, I also just feel like, you know, there's only so much that you can do against a team like Georgia that has so many athletes in the front seven and just is bound and determined to stop the run. Right. Um, Hey, do you want to know another like fun fact about UGA this year? Yes. They are first in the nation in offensive plays run. Really? Or sorry, first in the SEC. They're like 20th in the nation, but still. still yeah, that's still impressive. Yeah. That's pretty, what, are, what are some other things you want to see? Well, I mean, oh, just to add one more stat to your sort of like stopping the run thing. UGA has only actually defended 44 rush plays this year. Really? Was it just kind of something people know that that's not something they should be doing? Yeah, I guess. Like Auburn ran the ball. Uh, Arkansas ran the ball 25 times against Auburn, against UGA. Uh, Auburn ran the ball 19. And I think that sort of points to the fact that people sort of know they're not getting a lot against Jordan Davis. And, you know, if you, and, and I, and it'll actually be really interesting. And this will be something that I want to see in terms of like, not, not in terms of like, I want to see this for UGA to win the game. I want to see this as a a strategic decision because, you know, Jeremy Truvitt and Jim Chaney, those are man ball guys. Like man ball is sort of a dumb term that we overuse, but like if there is a dude in the sec that is like, I will run the ball down your throat to prove a point. It is not Kirby smart. It's Jeremy Pruitt. And Jeremy yeah. Pruitt has an offensive uh, an offensive coach that, you know, an OC that is 100% ready to just run the ball down your throat. And Chaney proved that at his time at UGA. I think Chaney's a good play caller, but it'll just be interesting to see because I don't know how you – like, one thing I want to see is just, like, what is UT's game plan? Because their game plan this so, so far this year has just been lean on you and mm. just, like, smash you. And I don't know that that game plan is sustainable against UGA. And it might be. But I, I want to see what they try to come out and do because I really do feel like this game is going to be on, for better and worse, this game is on Jared Guarantano's uh, shoulders. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, I think what I want to see is just like pass breakups, man, picks. Like, I think that's really what this game comes down to. Like, if you pick, if you turn Jared Guarantano over a couple of times and you continue to stop the run the way UGA has, like, you're going to win the game. Um, yeah. And so I want to see, you know, I'll say to be specific, like, uh, Tyreek Stevenson was a man last weekend he held seth williams to 34 yards after he went out there and just absolutely torched two teams in uh that the the previous two teams that auburn had played i mean he has everything you want in a first round corner he's six five he looks like a safety he runs like a corner he's super physical he was in a first round wide receiver's hip pocket the entire game and so i'm i'm just really excited to see continued consistent play out of him Hopefully we don't get any injuries, but I think, you know, you, if you have Stokes, Stevenson, and then whoever is your nickel corner, uh, Webb or whoever you have, like, I mean, it's hard. I really do think that UGA not only has the best defense in the country, I think that UGA has, you know, historically, a historically great defense. Uh, per Bill Connolly right now, UGA is, has the fourth best defensive S&P plus ever Ooh. through two games. That feels good. Yeah, so, and that's up there with, like, 01 Miami. And we always talk about 01 Miami of, like, you know, did you and Warren Sapp and Ed Reed and Ray Lewis were on the same defense? That's wild. <laughs> and I really do think this is going to be one of those defenses, like 2011 Bama, where it's just like, holy crap, all those dudes were on one defense? And I I think 
like really my answer to things I want to see for every game is just this defense play. I think it's a joy to watch those. You, you have, you got like 20 dudes in that defensive room who want to run, want to hit and are just absolutely having fun. Right. Richard LeCount mm-hmm. needs to wrap up, but other than that, they're having a great time. So do you want to hit me with your very first over under? I would love to. All right. Hit me uh, so I'm based on what we just talked about. I might want to change. I'm going to adjust this on the fly. Let's say okay. over under, over under 0.5 UT rushing touchdowns. Uh, from a running back or a quarterback? Period. I think if they get a, t- a touchdown, it's going to be from Garantano. From some, it could be a QB sneak. It could be you know just pushing him over the line at the goal. Um, but I don't think it's going to be from a natural running back play. Uh, one set I saw recently was that UGA has not allowed a touchdown from a running back from an opposing team since 2018 i think at arkansas which i think is pretty incredible so so i i'm gonna have to say under i think i don't think it's gonna come on the ground not from tennessee at least i don't know i might be being stupid but i'm gonna say over uh because i just think this this team is good and i think that the law of large large numbers is that 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 record has to break at some point. Like that's, oh, yeah. it, that that record's so long it's almost fluky. All right. Over under uh this one is actually coming from the the fact that something you mentioned earlier is that we've run the most offensive plays uh in the SEC, which is pretty neat. It's around what what was the number again? Yeah, so Georgia has run eighty, which is second okay. in the SEC. Uh Kentucky has run eighty one. You know, the reason why I want to bring this one up is because I, I think this is somewhat dependent uh like possession of the ball is is really not indicative of anything necessarily important like it can kind of lead to a few other things but it's not like it's not a like an overarching stat that tells you a lot about a team it just kind of tells you how long they've been on the field well it's a it's a it's a person it's a personality stat right yeah exactly but it it does kind of tell a little bit about how dominant this team has been and how long i mean how long you've held on the ball is is at least important in that sense so i want to see uh, over under Tennessee plays 65 and a half on the evening. Uh, and that's, I'm pulling that number away from the first two games we've had. Uh, Arkansas ran 62 plays in the evening. I think Auburn ran 65. And so I want to see where Tennessee sits. They're going to try and pick up the pace or are they going to sit somewhere in the same kind of realm um, as the other two teams? To, to borrow a term from uh, magic. I would, I'm going to windmill slam that under. <laughs> I think <laughs> Jeremy Jeremy Pruitt doesn't know what asparagus is. You're gonna ask him to run eighty plays in a game. <laughs> I mean, I, you don't ask him to run seventy plays in a game. Come on now. Uh-huh. I'm gonna go under as well. Actually, I think sixty-five-five is a little bit high for for what I was going for to make it competitive. But I'm gonna say under as well. I mean, I, he wants to make the game slow. Like, he does. That's kind of his all whole the thing. time. And and the thing is, Kirby a little wants to make the game slow too. Yeah, <laughs> like he's he gotten better at it, but like. At, like Kirby is letting Monk and do what he wants, and I think that's great. But like Kirby also is sort of like, mm, it would be great if we could win with only running forty-five offensive snaps or whatever. What's your next one? Let me give me 0.5 Garantano under over under 0.5 Garantano ints for at least consistency's sake. I think that's that's pretty fair. We've saw them both in the later in the game. You know, our defense is wearing these teams down. They're putting a lot of pressure on them, and we're bringing havoc now, which is pretty neat too. So uh, if we bring havoc. Like I'm hoping we see, I'm gonna say over. Yeah, yeah. I also, I mean, I I think if UGA picks him twice, that they probably win the game. But oh, yeah. I think he's UGA is probably good for one 
Mm-hmm. He's they're probably good for one, right? Like, One's a given. For, yeah, like, two's a push. And, and you you got to figure that like they're just gonna get one on you just because they are who they are. So UGA has run. Do you want to know? Some, this is not an over under. This is just another stat. UGA has currently on the year teams have played have run 129 plays against UGA's defense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now this is per UGA's official uh, s- statistician, and this is a stat that is a little bit, I don't know, it's a little bit ifty in the way it is um, calculated. But currently, UGA has pressured across those 129 snaps 52 times. That is, if you're counting, taking count at home, that is a 40% pressure rating on all snaps, not just on passing snaps. Nom, 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 nom. Now, hold on, it gets even, it gets even wild. It gets even more buck wild, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, it gets it gets wilder than that. So that's fifty two of one twenty nine total. If we go to just passes, right? So um, passing completions, passing uh, pass completions. So uh, they have defended. Let's see, thirty three passing completions, and they have defended uh, thirty nine. So that's seventy two. So fifty two of seventy two. That's how many pressures we've had. Hmm. Now that is per UGA's number, so that fifty that number fifty two is probably a little bit inflated, mm-hmm. but still, um, even if it was fifty, so like just for the record, like if a guy if a guy against UGA's defense drops back to pass so far this year, they have about a seventy two percent chance of seeing pressure. You know that that bleeds right into my last over under, one and a half UGA sacks. Oh, over God, <laughs> Garantan is a statue. God, we're gonna ring that guy's bell. <laughs> and, and like, I, I'm, I know we're about to make our predictions, and I guess this sort of like goes right into our predictions. But like, I, I ultimately think this game comes down to like, can you get into Garantano's head? Um, because I think Tennessee does have a very good team, and that they're gonna try to run the ball, and ultimately you're gonna have to just like make them put the ball in Garantano's hands and see what happens. But man, this defense, like Adam Adam Anderson, just Adam Anderson had Broderius Ham shook. And Broderius Ham is probably a guard playing tackle, but like Adam Anderson hurt Broderius Ham. Like mm-hmm. a five star offensive line lineman. Adam Anderson whipped him so bad he hurt him. Like that like and Adam Anderson is a situational pass rusher in this defense. Like he's mm-hmm. not a starter. Like Christ dude. Like Nolan Smith is a five star recruit and we didn't even say his name much no. on uh, on Saturday. And and he's having like the best the be- he's had the best two games of his career these last two games. Aziz Ojolari is just like like he's the Freddie Freeman of this defense. He's just boring good. He just doesn't make mistakes <laughs> and he gets in the backfield. Like this, like I can see I could see this being a very competitive game. And I think I'd probably uh-huh. predict that it's a very competitive game. But if we get in Garantano's head, like we're gonna win this game by like twenty one points. Because I, I I think that what you saw against Bo Nix was that, you know, at some point Bo Nix just heard footsteps and I don't mm-hmm. freaking blame him. He got pressured on like 40% of his dropbacks. Like, I mean, every time he was dropping back there, there, there were there, circulating around Twitter. There were a couple of screenshots of just like Bo Nix with the ball in his hands, having just reached his hand and being hemmed in by like four red jerseys. Uh. And if you do that, if you do that to Guarantano, like the result's going to be the same. This guy is not Tua. All right, so with all that being said, give me your, your prediction. I think this is a game where I I think Auburn's probably worse than we thought. 
Uh-huh. I think at this point, I, I'm not saying Auburn's bad, and I, I'm no. not trying to downgrade what we did against Auburn. I think that they have some holes that UGA was able to, uh, UGA was able to exploit, right? And I think offensively, Tennessee has a very good front seven and is going to be able to slow down the running game more than Auburn did. I think that this UGA is a team this year that if you can't stop the run, you're not going to win, and that's just what it is. I don't know that Tennessee is going to be able to stop the run, but I do think that, you know, they're going to be able to contain the run a little bit more than Auburn did. I think that makes the game a little bit closer. But ultimately, mm-hmm. I have faith this defense to rattle Garantano, or to, if not to rattle him, to, to at least turn him over a couple of times. Yeah. I There's part of me that want to, wants to predict a blowout, but I do sort of think that the stats are telling us that maybe you, Tennessee is a little better than we thought. Um now they've been better than we thought against two pretty bad teams, but still. So I'm going to go with. I think this is a kind of a UGA. Stetson Bennett has a good game, and I think UGA scores like eh, 28 points because they need to, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you 28-17. Okay. I think I think this is a game that is like competitive into the third and fourth quarter. I can see this being yeah. a game where you know they have enough defensive talent to kind of muck us up. Um, and that, you know, this goes into half like 14 to 10 and then they come out and score and it's 17, 14 and it's like, Oh God. And then we put something together and we score a couple of late touchdowns or we get a, we get a non-offensive touchdown and this ends up being 28, 17. Now I will say this is also a game where I'm really looking for, I think there's a game every year where you start to be like, okay, this is what this team is. And if UGA comes up and rings up this defense and scores like 35 points or something, then I think we have to reconsider like, oh, like UGA might be good at offense. Mm-hmm. So so I can see yeah. it being a blowout, but I think it's going to be pretty competitive. I don't think UGA is going to cover unless you can give me like 10 points. Yeah. The more I talk about it, the more I think about it rather is, and I have to think about next week too. I mean, next week is going to be a really big game. Jeez. Yeah. Next week is Alabama. And so I think that you have to factor that in as well as as an aspect of this game. You don't run it the same way you did last week. Last last week was kind of a statement piece. This week is not Auburn. This is not an Auburn team we're playing against. Like you said, yes, Auburn is worse than we thought they were. They were not a number seven team, but they're still a good team. It's still Auburn. They have lots of uh, lots of weapons, lots of pieces to play with. I don't think Tennessee has as many pieces as Auburn does. They have a great running uh, running offense, but we have a a better running defense than they have a running offense, and so. I don't think that they're going to to get points that way. I think they're going to end up getting points. They're going to have to try to throw it. Um, they're going to have to try some weird stuff. This is going to be this is going to be for Tennessee their statement piece, if anything. And for Georgia, it's a let's do our best to stay healthy for next week because that's really when we need all of our weapons. And so I think it's going to be potentially a frustrating game um, at times because it may be slower. Um, but I also think we're going to come away with it handily. I think we're going to start slow in the second quarter. We're going to pick up a few points and it's going to kind of widen that again. But I don't think after the second quarter, we're going to worry about the score again. So I'm predicting something like a 31 17 Georgia game. Yeah. I think like I said last time about, uh, Auburn and I turned out to be right, but just not in the way I thought it would be. You know, I think that the, the center of the bell curve of this is probably like eight to 10 points. Yeah, I think the bell curve is probably shifted towards UGA blowout because I think the really the margin in this game comes down to how good is UGA's offense, 
and I and I'm kind of going against my own trend by picking twenty eight seventeen because I do mm-hmm. think that I have said a lot on the battle hymnal. Check it out on our uh, podcast feed or on uh, <laughs> YouTube or Periscope. I've said a lot on the battle hymnal that like I think you buy stock in UJ's offense. I think UJ's offense is better than people think it is. Mm-hmm. I just kind of also feel like like you said Kirby wants to save stuff for Alabama, which I think is stupid, but he does. Yeah. And I also think that there is an element of like. If you get up 10 points in this game, it might be that your actual best strategic decision is just to sit on the ball because mm-hmm. Tennessee has not been running a lot of plays as a as a team. Like, that's not their personality, right? Um, so in, in that sense, I, I think you're I think you're totally right. And like by just by way of just for the record, uh, speaking of sitting on the ball currently, UGA this this year has run 162. So actually, no, I was wrong. They have run the most. Uh, but next okay. is next is Mississippi State. Tennessee has only run 139 plays. They're right in the middle of the pack. Okay. Now that's not bad. Like Auburn's run 122. They just haven't needed a lot of plays to blow people up. Mm-hmm. But and you know just pace wise, they are not a super fast team. So I, I do suppose if you get up two scores on them, it it actually there's a strategic thinking that says like, well, you just sit on the ball because then they got to come back and they got to play fast, which they're not good at. But that's all a long way of saving that. I think you're that's your your prediction is probably more prescient than mine at this point mm. anyway we'll see i mean i want to be surprised i would yeah. like them to come up and like i would like to just be like all hail mailman next week that yeah, would be absolutely. the ideal yeah so let's uh let's get into our favorite segment of the day which is as always hey. ask cbc hey yeah and if you want to have your questions on the show make sure you hit us on twitter or gmail ask cbc uh we will answer your questions on the show whenever you send those in to us. Uh, most of these come from our Discord at this point because most of the folks that were already engaging with us on Twitter and Gmail are now on our Discord. So once again, if you want to just pay a buck a month, you can get access to all of these great features. But the very first one comes from Jonathan Ashley. Uh, it's a big one, so ready for it? While Saturday was a dominant performance against Auburn, it feels like there was still a lot left on the table. There are breakdowns in the defense that a better quarterback than Bo Nix probably takes advantage of. And the offense could have had at least two more touchdowns with better execution. What kind of adjustments need to be made to tighten up performance on defense and has been at the way forward long term? Well, that's a two point question. It is. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I think, you know, losing the count definitely hurt. DJ Daniels got beat deep a couple of times and I saw a breakdown. I think it was on rivals today and they were talking about something that I also think is true, which is that. Both of those DJ Daniels breakdowns where he had a guy running past him were because he was thinking that there would be safety rotation on top and he was just playing like behind the guy in case he sat down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think if you get LeCount for the whole game that maybe that's a little bit better. I also do think like, you know, that was probably a decision that UGA made intentionally, right? Yeah. And you think, okay, well, if we rush five or six on every play and we get in Bonix's head, they're going to have some free runners, but Bo, we don't think Bo Nix can, can, can convert. So I do think that you'll see a little bit more conservative of a game plan. We saw a lot of stunts and twists from UGA. Um, we didn't see, like, you know, they weren't bringing the house on every play, but they were not sending four every time. The thing was, eventually got to the point where when they were sending four, that they still got pressure, and that's when Bo Nix started throwing a pick. Um, so that's a long way of saying that I sort of trust UGA's defense, but I also think that against a better quarterback that UGA would be way more confident and just sort of like letting them get letting themselves be nickel and dimed and dropping more into coverage. Next question comes from Christy. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. You didn't answer the second part. Is Bennett the the way forward long term? I mean, define long term, right? Is he the way forward? 
I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah, it's is true. he way forward the, the rest of 2020? Um, maybe. Who can maybe. say? He's not the way forward, you know, in 2021. I, I He can't be. I think that Bo, that Stetson Bennett is probably, and I and I don't want to like shit on Stetson Bennett because I think he's a great player and I think he has absolutely balled out and I, mm. and I really do think he's a good player. I think he has a ceiling. Yeah, just physically, I don't think that you know the he's got a pretty live arm for his size, but his size is an issue. So you know maybe he's Kyler Murray two and I've been wrong before, and he certainly has had a. A really, really good year. I mean, I saw something from David Hale the other day that, like, in terms of uh, lowest percentage of off-target throws, right? So, like, in terms of, you know, throws that just were not even near, like, Stetson Bennett's in the top 10. He's 10. Mm-hmm. 6.8% of his throws were off tra- have been off-target. This, That's this wild. Year. Yeah, and it, so he's in the same, like, right? Like, Trevor Lawrence is first with 3.8. K. Joseph Costello is 5.8. You know, like... uh Stetson Bennett is a, you know, Kyle Trask is 5.5. Like Stetson, mm-hmm. Stetson Bennett is in that rarefied air. And so I I think, you know, he's probably a step above a game manager. I think he can make some plays with his legs. I think that he has a real sort of like BDE energy kind of to him <laughs> that he's willing to just chuck the ball wherever. And I think that helps actually in Munkin's offense. Munkin wants a yeah. guy who will pull the trigger. Ah, it's just a hard question to answer because like, He's probably less talented than we would like to make him out to be because he is a, he's a cult hero. Yeah. Is he good enough to take UGA to the college football playoff? I mean, yeah, I think so. I think UGA, you know, is, has a good enough defense that they can go, you know, nine and one. But is he good enough to beat Alabama once or twice? Like, I don't know. Who could say? And that, and that, and that yeah, who could say? Who could to say? quote John Mulaney. I mean, but like... <laughs> So I think he's definitely the answer next week. And I think functionally yeah. he probably is the answer for the rest of the year. I mean, the only way I could see at this point, the only way I see him not starting for the rest of the year is two, two reasons. One injury two, well, three, two JT Daniels just starts to ball out at practice, which I don't think he has at this point or three, you know, if UJ gets like, like just freaking shellacked against Alabama and then, you know, he throws like three picks against Alabama or something, yeah. then yeah, I think you'll see a change. But I think functionally that the question of whether or not he's the answer at quarterback or the answer is that, like, until he isn't, he is. Because, yeah. you, you know, Kirby has shown that he wants to ride ride the hot arm. Yeah. And there's really no denying at this point that Stetson Bennett is the hot arm. Christy in London, where would you set the line at the world's largest socially distanced cocktail party right now? It's hard to say, too. Honestly, like, I think probably like Florida plus three. Florida plus like two and a half. I think it's a Vegas zone thing, right? Where like yeah. you got a two and a half point game or something and you're saying Florida's slightly better. It's going to be close I think, like that. I, I think, I'm, I mean, I don't think it'll be a pick because it's going to be a, a game that has a lot of bets on it. I think that it's it's going to be a slight for, for Florida favorite. I, I would say probably Florida plus two and a half at this point. Yeah. Now, I, I do think that like if UJ is competitive, the two things are going to change that line. One, if Florida continues to not stop the run, which they have not very well, or if UGA just like, like, I mean, UGA brought the hammers against Auburn defensively. And if they continue to do that, I think that line moves because, you know, Florida is not LSU from last year statistically at all. They're not LSU for a lot of reasons. One of which is that the defense is not as good. Their offense is not also not as good. That's not saying anything. LSU was a historically great team. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Florida is a, 
either the best or second best offense in the SEC. Mm-hmm. That 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 at this point is kind of statistically provable. I don't know that we can say that Florida is 2020 LSU because I don't know that Florida's defense has a Kayvon Chasen on it, right? I, I don't know that not not Kayvon Chasen. What what was there? Uh, it's Kayvon Thibodeau, but he's at Oregon. Anyway, I don't know that Florida's defense has a guy that you can count on in a big moment. And LSU's defense, despite being, you know, probably not as good as we think it is, was had some guys on it. They had first round draft picks. They had, you know, they had uh, Derek Stingley. They had a, a, some dudes. And I don't know that Florida's does at this point. Having said all of that, I think Florida's defense offense has been good enough to this point of the year that, you know, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And they're also just sexier than UGA right now. Mm-hmm. Like UGA right now is playing like boa constrictor. Like <laughs> it's really fun. It's really fun to watch Raptors eat a goat, but it's not fun to watch a boa constrictor, like <laughs> kill a half dead armadillo. Like, and that's what like UGA is doing. Like UGA is just like wrapping itself around other teams and just being like, well, you'll suffocate at some point. We were talking about this on like on the Patreon around the Discord at some point, and I was like, UGA is just sort of like laying on people, and then occasionally they'll like lift up off and be like, "Is he breathing? Okay, yeah, he is. Okay," and then they like, lay back down, you know, at this <laughs> point, and 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 that is like a very unsexy way to to win. But it's a win. But it's a win. Yep. They don't ask. They don't ask how. They ask how many, baby. Uh, next questions come from Eric Russell. Do we break out the black uniforms this year or not? Nah? Yeah, I think we do. I think we got to at least once. I mean, they made them, and they made a big deal out of them, and they've been teasing them a little bit uh, the last couple of weeks. So, I, I, I think we'll, we'll we'll probably see them against like who's the worst team we're playing at home? Vandy. We're we playing Vandy at home this year. We're playing Vandy's. That would be that would be one of those things. Yeah. Last question: What is more fun to watch, Havoc plays or explosive plays? Havoc plays. Havoc plays one hundred percent. I am all about it. I like a good explosive play, and it makes me feel good. Yeah, we are in a, we are in a. An era where explosive plays are easier than havoc plays, right? Yes. Like, uh, like sort of systemically, the rules of football are tilted against the defense and will continue to be so. Sort of, I think, as long as football exists as a game. So, to mm-hmm. me, a havoc play is either a result of like excellent individual effort or an amazing scheming. And explosive mm-hmm. plays can be those things, but they can also just be like you can't hand fight anymore, you know, and so like. <laughs> <laughs> you can't no like, there's just rules yeah there are rules that cornerbacks have to follow now that just make explosive plays easier next question comes from disney dog what has been your favorite new play munkin has introduced so far what would you change i mean i really like all verts that's not a new play but we're running it we've run it a couple of times probably i mean split zone i i think the way we run split zone out of this offense we haven't run, we only ran it like three or four times but it's just it works really well with our personnel i like nikki toss um my favorite single play i think that we've run is that in the second quarter with uh against auburn with what's his face back there the the small one number four the small boy i'm dying the small boy he's a tiny he's a good tiny boy (laughs) he's a fat he's a fast tiny boy cook yeah we had cook back it was his last it was the play my favorite my favorite actual play from that uj has run this year was the play that cook got hurt on um it was a it was an outside power uh with a like two it was an outside power with like a two uh swinging a swinging tackle and a swinging guard and it was just like beautiful and darnell washington had to seal the edge and he just like took a guy's cleats off and it was one of those plays and I, and we were talking about this on the battle hymnal like uga had a lot of plays like this on um 
against Auburn, and they are like the absolute funnest plays to watch in rushing football. But the, mm-hmm. there are plays where you just like at the snap, you're like, oh, well, that's six yards. And that was one of those plays where it was like, as soon as Washington got that that seal block on the end, it was like Justin Schaefer and Ben Cleveland running at full steam against a 230-pound safety and a 190-pound cornerback. And it was like, well, that's a 10-yard play. Like, worst case scenario, that's a 10-yard play. And so that was really fun. What would I change? I mean, you know, I'd make Stetson Bennett three inches taller and be able to throw five yards longer, probably. That'd but be cool. Yeah, schematically, I think I think this and I think this is something that will change as we go on. I think just the inclusion of more um a little bit being a little bit fancier in the play action game. I think if you run play action out of power or you run play action, if you if you think you have the offensive line that's quick enough to run play action out of like a, a split zone motion, especially. Like if you have a um, if you have jet motion and then you run split zone motion with a tight end sniffer across the formation at the snap, I think that defenses are going to absolutely bite on that because, I mean, UGA likes to run zone power and the counter. So I think if you start running actual real hard play action with the the sort of line blocking schemes that we've implemented, that we'll see some really good results. And I think that's going to happen. I that's I think a lack of I think a lack of ability to in the first game and a lack of need to in the second game. Bro Broma asks how many fingers could a folding chair chop if a folding chair could chop fingers well at least one i imagine a folding chair could chop all the fingers that a folding chair could chop if a folding chair could chop fingers fair (laughs) just you know just going with the theme of everything here abby stage manager for life at what point in the georgia auburn game did you realize that we were going to solidly win the game probably the touchdown to pickens yeah i don't know that whole we watched this game together. I guess we should have probably talked about that, but we watched this game together <laughs> in my backyard, socially distanced. And about halfway through the game, I ate a piece of cheesecake and three s'mores because we had a fire. And I got on the kind of sugar high that should be reserved for like five-year-olds. And so probably right about in there was when I convinced myself we were going to win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when we started making s'mores, that was it. <laughs> we were like, ah, and we, can, we made we just kind of kind of watch this. Like Ghirardelli dark chocolate s'mores, which, holy God, were good. Everybody needs it. That's real good. And uh, what was your favorite song to play in the Redcoats? Mm, I mean, Power. Power is a slap. Is that from Is that from Disney Dog? That's all that from Abby. From? That's from Abby. Power. Power is like, the has a, an insane. No, did we play Power? I think I've just played Power since I've come back. Uh, just like while I was screwing around. While we were playing. I really liked Choker, but it's not that fun to play. It's just as a Souza, it's fun, right? What? As a Souza, you just kind of get to like blare. Eh, yeah, I mean, it, it it's got a D and a C in it, and those are the two worst notes on Sousaphone. Uh, like okay. you generally want to, if you want to play real loud on Sousaphone, you actually want to play higher, not lower. Um, okay. So all of the lights slapped. Um, power was really good. I actually think we did play it when I was in band. I mean, honestly, probably like some weird basketball band thing. We played it. We had a we played a version of um, "Sell Out" in Basketball Band by what was that by Real Big Fish or something? Some ska uh-huh. band. Yeah, we played "Sell Out" in Basketball Band, and we always ended up playing it like thirty clicks faster than they played it in the actual song. So it was just like just the most harried, ridiculous version of "Sell Out." That was really fun. <laughs> played a really oh, you know what? Actually, I, I have a real answer. We uh, the my sophomore year band wasn't necessarily very good, but uh, my sophomore year we played a Zeppelin show. And we played uh, Black Dog and Whole Lot of Love. And that was like, Zeppelin has some fun bass lines. Really fun to play. Really groovy. And in the right range. Like, the tuba is such a temperamental instrument. If you play anything with two or three uh, valves, 
and this is probably like Disney Dog will know this too. Like any brass instrument, the more valves you add, the harder it gets. And when you're playing second and third valve or anything, D, D flat, C, C natural, that's like the range. That's like the brown note range in tuba. You got to put a lot of air into it and it often sounds pretty bad. But if you play, if you write a tuba part that's between like middle F and D for a college line, they're going to destroy it. And that's why when the red coats play power, that's why they're so loud is because it's a good arrangement of a good song that is also just like absolutely in everyone's swing a sweet spot like range wise the very last question comes from dog souls here's some cherry pick narrative focus stats in each of the first two games this season stetson bennett has thrown for more than 25 attempts resulting in more than 200 yards and at least a 60 percent completion percentage jake Fromm, if my count is correct had six games where he met those three benchmarks in his entire uga career how does this make you feel and on a totally unrelated note how nice would it be to shut down tennessee's offense on saturday I'm not saying that Stetson Bennett is better than Jake Fromm. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I don't want to say that. Stetson Bennett is in a much better schematic position than Jake Fromm ever was. I think Jake Fromm would... Jake Fromm played at Houston County and basically ran the air raid for four years. I think if Jake Fromm has Todd Munkin as his uh, offensive coordinator, that he probably wins a natty. Like, I, yeah. I, I do genuinely think that, like, Jake Fromm would have, like ripped ass in this in this offense like he absolutely like we are running plays he's been running since he was 15 um if i have a regret it's that we hired james coley instead of just going and getting money again last year but of course we wouldn't have gotten him over the browns it is what it is that would have been cool though all right nathan that's all we got oh man it's been such a lovely time here with you tonight justin it has been here talking about football and and things Good luck know? editing this hour and 45 minute long episode. <laughs> Always. Point. There's like 30 minutes uh, in there where we didn't do anything. Yeah, it was just me making Cusa Libres. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking with it. And I understand that Cusa is actually like not even a real town in Georgia and that Cusa, Alabama is the real county, but I don't care. There's no other sound in, there's no other place in Georgia that I could think of that sounds like Cuba. If you like what you heard here today, you can hit us up on Twitter at Nathan J. Lawrence or at the Justin Bray, or you can follow us our big account at Chapel Bell Curve. You can also check us out on the Battle Hymnal, which is the our video review show and just general video stream chicanery show. Uh, we have a separate Twitter account for the Battle Hymnal called the Battle Hymnal. If you really loved what you uh, heard today and you want to contribute to a great ch- cause, you can hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash discord. If you want to yell at us, you can get on any of the aforementioned social media pages and or you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. We will catch you this weekend in the Classic City, or maybe not. But until then, who can say? Go dogs. Go dogs.